0: minimalists
1: <laughs> the minimalists are once again going on tour this is our 10th tour in 10 years it is called the less coast tour we'll be hitting eight cities across the west coast of the united states and canada for more details head on over to the tour we'll see you soon Hello everybody, welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, This is coming out Christmas Eve. And uh, so I thought it was a perfect time to talk about some of these sort of, especially in today's modern world, the internal conflicts that many of us experience when it comes to community and individualism, when it comes to reason and spirituality, when it mm. comes to, to religion and atheism on christmas day we're gonna talk about this perfect timing yeah and we're here with uh, today's guest eric weinstein is yeah. here eric thank you for joining us thank you guys for having me you're oh. awesome man thanks for being here well no i really appreciate it i did
0: not know that we were doing the christmas special given that this is early november <laughs>
3: you forgot to wear your santa hat exactly
1: <laughs> well we we figured we'd have well who better for a christmas special than an atheist jew <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> Breaking new ground
0: here at The Minimalist. Well, you you know what
1: What what was fascinating, how we first connected, and I actually wrote down the very first tweet I sent you, and and I said that we often hear people say that they are spiritual but not religious, but I I often feel the opposite impulse. Mm. I feel the impulse of, like, I don't feel spiritual in the sense of the the woo-woo or the mysticism, but I feel the impulse of of like religion, or, or at least what religion often brings to us. And I heard you say somewhere that you are an atheist who happens to go to synagogue every weekend. Well, not every weekend. That's well, not true. a lot of weekends. <laughs> yeah, um, goes to, uh, goes semi regularly. Semi regularly. And and I found that that fascinating because you know on this podcast we've had a lot of different perspectives. We've had pastors like Erwin McManus who runs a a mega church across the street Mm -hmm. from here. We've had um, Sam Harris on and uh, sort of everyone in between and I think we're all yearning for some of the same things. We have similar values but we get there via different paths in a way and I was really intrigued by by the fact that, well, okay, maybe you don't believe some of the, you don't have the same beliefs as some of the people in your synagogue, or uh, I don't have the same beliefs as many of my my close Christian friends, but I think we have similar values. You, So I hope
0: so, but I also <laughs> believe that we don't even know what people believe who are in our congregations mm. or even leading our congregations. I think that the idea that somehow – our picture of people who are devout, or religiously motivated, who are regular attendees to some house of worship that these people deeply believe is just fake. That's not true. They, they struggle, yeah. they go in and out, what their belief means is not entirely clear. Mm. As for the line that uh, I'm spiritual but not religious, that sounds like a bad pickup line.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) What's your sign? Yeah, I don't know. It's
0: just like you're trying to appear interesting in a bar. Um, And you're trying to make sure you don't hit any tripwires. I think that part of the religious impulse is about community and one thing I find hysterically funny is that all of these people who are fiercely against anything that strikes them as tribal or organized go to a lot of these weird human potential movement meetings and say what we really need to do is to find some way to build community and ritual into our lives I'm thinking you really haven't made the connection yet Mm. have you that that thing that you were so focused on distancing yourself from is the thing that you are now yearning for right and having a hard time replacing like the word tribal lots of people just that's the end uh, of an insult chain like you seeming a little tribal right now Mm. and I'm always thinking like a little (laughs) (laughs) I mean I hope that I'm fairly tribal and I am so in an adaptive way and that I'm not so in a in a murderous or jingoistic way but There's nothing wrong with tribal. What about Uh,
1: dogma? Because I think that's where where ideologies become a bit of a problem when when dogma is attached and and it doesn't allow our beliefs to be to be fluid in a way right and i think that's maybe where a lot of people have a problem with organized religion is they Mm -hmm. feel like if i don't adhere exactly to these beliefs and that's why i was really encouraged when we had erwin on erwin mcmanus on the show you know he's he's a pastor of a very large church but he uh, i think one fifth of his congregation are atheists Yeah, yeah, and it made me realize, like, oh, you can have different beliefs. You don't have to subscribe to a particular dogma. Well, let's begin with the concept of
0: being a sinner. Okay, can you manage that part of the adherence? Can you just say I'm a sinner? Yeah, because once you get transgression against the belief systems into the equation, you're in. Mm. So, like, maybe you've fallen off the wagon. You're aspiring to something, but you know, you hit the bottle. You had a crazy weekend. You can't quite remember. Okay, well, you're in the religion. You're a sinner. Mm. You recognize your own imperfection. And I think that that's really a key part to belonging is Recognizing that there's no way you're gonna follow the rules as they're stated. They're mm-hmm. aspirational. They're not intended mm-hmm. um, To be some set of rules, which if you can't follow it, you're out mm. because then no religion would have any adherence Yeah, But in, in,
1: in some cases they are right. I mean Ryan grew up jehovah's witness and yeah i mean i left because
3: of the dogmatics because i got to a point where i was looking at the uh it it wasn't inclusive it was actually exclusive even though you know the the whole organization that i was in they say oh we welcome everyone and anyone can join but it's as long as you follow these rules as long as you you know Take on these this specific well, I'm type not of dogmatics. You can just do anything that you like. No, 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 no. It, it, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. What, what what I what I mean is, we can all accept. What I came to the realization is that we can all accept that we're imperfect, but to exclude people based on very trivial dogmatics is where I couldn't buy into it anymore. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because you're hitting the nail on the head with. Um, When I left, I had this tribalism that was missing from my life. And for 10 years, I have been really kind of seeking, um, and I didn't even realize it until recently, actually, uh, seeking a community of open-minded, like-minded people with similar values, Not, not necessarily beliefs, but just kind of all supporting one another, heading in the same direction when it comes to whatever life brings us. Um, for me, like I've been able to find, like I found this men's group that kind of has this community, but there's no dogmatics associated with it. But I think that's where I, I don't know the dogmatics, I guess what, what I'm trying to get at is what really, I think starts to exclude people. And, and I, and I don't, I think there are some people you need to exclude from your lives, but, um, Exclusion there's a balance is really
0: important. I don't know why inclusion has gotten such a great name. First of all, almost <laughs> anyone is talking about inclusion if you actually scratch the surface, they're talking about exclusion almost immediately. Right? Mm -hmm. Right, Like in order for my people to be included, you guys have to shut up. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting that you have a movement for like diversity and inclusion that instantaneously tries to make life less diverse and more exclusive. Um, Then you have all these other weird things you can just notice in your own mind. So Mm -hmm. for example, um, If somebody advertises, uh, we are going to be going to an inclusive public island on this trip. Mm. That's not (laughs) compelling. But if we say exclusive private island, Mm. suddenly people are willing to part with money. Uh Right? Oh, he had a public chef. Oh, no, no, a private chef. Oh, that's really interesting. So in the same breath. We have to look at our own hypocrisy and realize Mm -hmm. that exclusion and exclusion go together. There's no way to separate them. So just the way, um, you know, I often talk about promoter and repressor being Mm -hmm. things that live on on our chromosomes uh, to either make more of a protein or less of a protein uh, to keep something from being transcribed. Every religion and tribe has inclusion and exclusion functions and they have to otherwise they wouldn't exist. Right. Right. So there's nothing wrong with exclusivity. What we measure is on what basis did you exclude?
3: Yeah. And I love that, man. So there's a balance that we need to have with inclusion and exclusion.
0: Well, this is the weird thing.
3: Like, you know, there's this, this little bit in Ecclesiastes
0: that somehow we forgot. And I talk about it a lot these days because in the 60s there was this song turn 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 that i guess you know the 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 birds and pete Seeger and company um you know just brought from scripture and it talks about that there's a time to kill mm-hmm. you know and a time to refrain from killing or whatever it is yeah. we can't even talk about that now because we it's that hippie sentiment about there being a time for every purpose under heaven is now under assault like we now feel like There's never a time to exclude. There's never a time to kill. There's Mm. never a time to silence. There's never a time to shame. Well, that's nonsense. The key issue is, are we doing these things in an adaptive way? This is our toolkit. So, like, you know, shaming and canceling. I'm against cancel culture, but I'm not against the idea that some people have to be removed from society um, by making them pariahs because they're really evil. I just think it's a terrible idea to uh, advance that anyone – you know, uh, to the right of Bernie Sanders has to be uh, you know excluded from from polite society. That's ridiculous.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, when I think of exclusion where I think it's harmful, is uh, like my dad won't talk to me right now because I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I live with uh, my my wife. I mean, we're not we don't have the piece of paper, but I mean, she's my life partner. Um, we don't really see the value in getting married. We're not traditional. We're not religious, but there is a point where exclusion, well, it's not adaptive, is, is kind of what...
0: But ask yourself, what does
3: he think he's doing? Like, if you
0: take, if you've ever read John Gottman's theories of couples, do you know this, this guy? Mm-mm. Either of you? Mm-hmm. Let me recommend him to okay. you. Yeah. He, uh, he had the crazy idea to set up a an apartment rigged with cameras and microphones and then to invite couples to spend the weekend and he would figure out well, what is it that couples that stay together actually do? So he has all this data well, on couples. I have couples,
1: heard about this. Right? Mm. Yeah. Calls it the love lab. Uh-huh. This is
0: great. Okay. Well, one of his great ideas is to try to figure out how our dreams are getting us into trouble and how our instantiations, our strategies, are not the same as our dreams. So he gives a beautiful example about a couple that fights incessantly over how neat the house should be. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they have the same dream of having a creative life. But one of them grew up in a stifling house where nothing could be amiss. And that person wants creative space to to mess things up and to be creative. And the other person grew up with Bohemians. And the house was so out of control that it it constantly weighed on everyone else in the family. So nobody could accomplish anything. Mm. Okay. So what if you, instead of thinking about marriage or the fact that you left the, the order or whatever, mm-hmm. you just abstracted it away and said, okay, what is my dad's dream
2: mm-hmm.
0: that he and I would be part of a shared narrative, mm-hmm. uh, a shared tribe, that the piece of paper to him may mean that he knows that there are lots of forces in the world that pull people apart. Mm-hmm. You know let me just say something from your dad's perspective, you sure. no, know, I don't I, know.
3: I would love to see more from his perspective because so, I, I try to. Okay.
0: So the whole purpose between husband and wife, mm-hmm. right, as a, as a concept, now we have same-sex marriage, but let me focus on the traditional case. Sure. sure. Is that those words were distributed with universal meaning so that the resident in everyone's head as to well, a husband means something, a wife means something. Mm-hmm. And what he was hoping you do probably mm-hmm. was that you would step into that mimetic complex of ideas that is shared by so many people. And then like, you know, if you go into a hospital and you say, my wife is in room, you know, 312, mm-hmm. that has more power than saying my partner is in room three twelve or my girlfriend is in room three twelve. For right? sure. Right. And so there's a way in which what he's really asking you do to do Is to participate in some larger structure, not to rob it of meaning by saying it's a piece of paper, you know, a piece of paper from the government. I forget what a, I think there's a Joni Mitchell song where she talks about we don't need a piece of paper from the government.
3: Right. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I do refer to her as my wife, as I did when I said, hey, I'm living with my wife right now. We don't have the piece of paper, but I do consider her my wife. But for him, it is, it is the, you know, the uh, definition of what a marriage is. And that is a, Public union. It is a you know the government gets involved and says yes
1: these guys are husband and wife, which is a strange thing because that wasn't. I mean, uh, the government wasn't involved when you know, when George Washington was married, right? right? It was a it was a particular uh, agreement and maybe even a religious ceremony. But but um, what's the the thing I often say is I, I I love my wife so much I didn't feel compelled to get the government involved. And and, and it's, I'm the same way. Like Bex and I don't have a a, a piece of paper that say we are um, happily ever after or whatever. But um, but we do have a an actual you know, contract, and mm-hmm. we we uh, meaning we have an agreement with each other. Mm-hmm. And also we have things that that to us are, are far more important. Yeah, you know, like life insurance, for example. To me, that 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 is much more of a commitment than uh, going down to the courthouse and. <laughs> Yeah, I think that what, what what I'm picking up is
0: is that a lot of us have these fears about these inherited structures, mm. right? So mm-hmm. like marriage is an inherited structure, your religion is an inherited structure, mm-hmm. and because our inherited structures are failing, like almost universally across the board yeah. at this moment yeah. due to some, some stuff I've talked about on other podcasts, the key question is should we be spending our time saying, I'm not getting sucked into that, or saying, Man, does that institution need help? Yeah. And we're just the people to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, just in your case, I didn't hear any pain coming from your agreement. But in your case, no. you have a variable that is open to you when you want to use it. It may not work. I don't know your father from Adam, and I can mm-hmm. tell you that you know the, the particular religious order you're talking about mm-hmm. is famous for being pretty fanatical. Right?
3: Well, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I guess. Uh, and, and, and this is really going... Well, I didn't want to say that. I well,
1: I mean, and, no, and that's yeah. Actually, the reason it's I fair. say
3: that
0: is... Because if they cancel my copy of The Watchtower, <laughs> I don't know if, how I'll get another subscription.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, they're really difficult well, to get. Well, well, Ryan, let me just say this real quick. I, sure. I, I, I know, uh, I think Eric's being very charitable toward your dad, but just knowing the circumstance here is, I think he uses religion, this particular religion, as uh, a weapon with which he batters you. And if he didn't have the religion, there would be some other oh, yeah. weapon that 100%. he would use to, to batter you and, 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 and control you in a way.
3: Yeah, but I guess, because this is going back to exclusion, sure. where everyone in the community of his yeah. church is saying, good job, Eric. You're doing the right thing. You should not talk to your son. You should not. So it is, it, that's really why I bring it up. Is It's this idea of exclusion where, uh, yeah, you're right. Like I... Uh, think that yes we should be as inclusive as possible but to your point there are absolutely people who I exclude from my life I'm not going to hang out with you know the homeless drug addict on the corner because we've got very similar values and very similar things that we have going on in our lives I will exclude people like that from my life but I was just you know kind of giving an example of where exclusion can be really harmful and actually I think if we get into the voicemail questions Peter's question I mean she said um, was just the thing yeah. I did
0: right before this Was hanging out with a homeless lady Mm -hmm. um, who I don't know why I got into a conversation with her. You know, she's trying to save the world and wasn't Mm -hmm. entirely confident that she was stable. But I don't think that that's true. You might hang out with that person. I I think. Well, we'll, yeah, I, I think that what's going on is deeper, which is that. Everybody's hurting. We're all in these injured familial relations. I think that as we come to understand families, we realize nobody's got one that really functions. Mm-hmm. Right? Like families are meant to be messy and beat oh, yeah. up and tortured mm-hmm. and ridiculous. Mm-hmm.
1: Dysfunctional by default.
0: Dysfunctional without exception. I don't know of a functional family.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. You know, there's that famous uh, beginning of Anna Karenina about all happy families are exactly alike. Uh, show me one.
3: Mm-hmm. Right
0: right every family has misery and mm. i don't think that's an accident i think that there's no other way around it yeah. and there
1: are continuums obviously right? oh absolutely and, i'm not sure. saying well uh, and and you uh, the nice thing you really you do with your podcast which by the way is called the portal i would encourage folks to to listen to it is you tackle some of these things mm. that quite often in the mainstream we're not even allowed to talk about anymore or they have be- become very recently become t- taboo subjects um and you, you you grapple with that. I want to talk a lot more about that, but this show is a, a listener-driven show, so I want to dive into a few questions we have here. The first one is from Isabella in uh, Chicago.
2: Hello, my name is Isabella, and I'm from Chicago, and I am a sophomore college student And I just realized that all my high school friends have kind of moved on from being high school friends. And I was wondering how to move on from those relationships and make new ones.
1: So, Eric, since we're talking about community today, sometimes we move on from one community to another. Now, that might be because we've changed geography. You changed geography recently. You moved back to L.A. after, what, 30 years away? 37. Wow. Okay. What prompted the move back?
0: Um... Defeat. No, I don't know. (laughs) Isn't
1: that why people usually leave
3: LA?
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. I I left because it was a living hell. It was it was the worst city on earth I Mm -hmm. felt.
1: I heard you talking to Brett Easton Ellis about yeah. this. And you both have – I I love that conversation on your podcast. with. So, Brett Easton Ellis, for those of you who don't know him, he's sort of uh, the original – well, not original. Raymond Carver is probably the original minimalist uh, literary figure. But the, he's the guy who sort of popularized it with, with uh, Less Than Zero and eventually American Psycho, um, that, that sort of style. But he – a lot of his books are very sort of L.A.-centric. Even the ones that don't occur in L.A., feel like L.A. is a character, or at least tangentially a character. Um, but you two had radically different views on on Los Angeles. Sort of. I mean, I guess I
0: should say that he became famous for taking the seeds of this weird high school experience where we both graduated in 1982 and turning it into a book and amping it up. And I didn't even think to do that because <laughs> I just thought, uh, first of all, nobody would ever believe what was going on in uh in this place at that time, it seems and, like a
1: parodic exaggeration almost, but it sounds like it wasn't.
0: But you can go back in time, right? You can look at um, the billionaire boys' club. You know, the, the idea of, of rich kids murdering parents. I don't know the Menendez yes. brothers from the time, mm-hmm. the, the, the the serial killers. That it was just, and, and you know, the the statistic you should always look at is. Uh, like number of divorces per 100,000 women uh, after no-fault divorce went into effect in 1970, Mm -hmm. I think it was, when Ronald Reagan who was divorced, signed it into law. It was a terrible and weird time to be growing up. Now, in retrospect, there was a lot that was cool because it was so bad, like death and destruction, it just always leaves a residue of cool. It's like why people watch war movies and play war games and things. And so the, the, the carnage um, in terms of broken teenage lives and things and, you know, really bad things happened. Uh, I think in retrospect looks cool if you survived it, but I don't think it was a good place to grow up. Now, that said, the city has always had huge positives. Many of them are secret. You know, I think it's a much smarter town than anybody's ever giving L.A. credit for. Mm. Um, not just because of like Caltech and UCLA and things, uh, Rand corporation. I think that, um, you know, getting back to your, 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 well, I think right now, LA is the place to be for a new movement, which is the podcasting, particularly long form podcasting revolution is capitalizing on the collapse of what I've called the uh, baby boomer bubble, Mm. um, where. Really it was started by the silent generation and then carried on by the baby boomers and all of these belief complexes uh, that were held by those generations are now crashing because they're nonsensical and they've been nonsensical for almost 50 years. So it's a really good time to be in this cauldron of people who are using this format um, to get out things that CNN and ABC and NPR won't touch. Mm -hmm. Um, Now with respect to the other, Question
1: About community. About
0: community. First of all, um, with your high school friends, there's a period of time where they go into hibernation
1: to some extent. Oh, this happened with us, Ryan. Yeah. So Ryan and I, we've known each other since we were fat little fifth graders. Okay. But after high school, he sort of went his own way. He got married at like 18. Yeah. And um, I went out to the corporate world, and he was working for his dad. And like, we just sort of... There was a hibernation period. Yeah. This yeah. is fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. is, yeah. it, you're gonna <clears throat> I would
3: say a lot of it had to do with me being in the religion. Yeah. Because you were worldly. Right. Yeah. And, and that's why I got married
1: too was because. But I had other friends who were were you know, also worldly where we the, the, our paths sort of yeah. bifurcated yeah, yeah, yeah. after high school, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that when
0: you have a community that's super, I don't know how to say it, but the thing about your high school friends is that you always go right back into wherever you left off, no matter how many years away, I'm finding that having been away for almost 40 years and I really, I, I ran away from this place so fast, so hard that I really didn't keep up my relationships and and they're still there. So um, try to figure out when you expect those relationships to click back in and don't worry, they're not gone. It's just that now you're going to make a bunch of, let's say, college or work relationships after high school, um, and they'll be there for you, Um, but those people are also building the next stage of their life uh, developmentally, and just don't worry. I think don't worry quite so much. Recognize that people are going to be
1: occupied, but the relationships are are there. They're just underground. I can tell you that almost all of my closest relationships, there's a few exceptions to this, almost all of them, I'm 38 now, almost all of them I made after age 30, including my wife, including well Jordan and and Jess, I, just because we took a different path after we left the corporate world, mm-hmm. and there are some people who sort of lingered, it, but a lot of those initial relationships were birthed on proximity and convenience and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but just because someone shares the cubicle next to you doesn't mean it's it's the most appropriate relationship for the rest of your life either. I disagree with that. Tell me. <laughs> I don't know.
0: What I'm about to say sounds wrong, but I, I'm convinced that it's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, the theme of this podcast, actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Actually, <laughs> isolate that. Let's just start every podcast <laughs> with that. <laughs> um,
0: so I always give this puzzle. Uh, you go for a family wedding, and you get put up um, by your third cousins, who you have barely any interaction with, mm-hmm. um, because that's how the the couple is, uh, is parceling out rooms. Okay, while you're staying with your third cousins, there's a sewage breakage, uh, breakage on the second floor, raining down, and it's an emergency, it's disgusting. Everybody's pitching in, right? My claim is you will be closer with your third cousins after that incident than you are with your first and second cousins mm. because something significant happened to, to you all. Yeah. Yeah. And so all that proximity stuff, here's here's the swerve, right? Uh-huh. It wasn't just proximity. It was proximity while super important life events were happening, coming yes. of age events, mm. you know? Um so you're thinking like, oh my god, I may have overdosed or Oh, our friend's girlfriend is late with her period. What happens next? Or you know, who knows what? Sure. There's stuff happening that's super um, salient, important, and transformational. And so, whoever you're around when that stuff happens, don't knock proximity. Yeah.
3: Now you're gonna bond over those experiences for sure. Like I think about growing up in high school. You're the only person I hang out with from high school, and then your brother Jerome. Yeah. Um. But other than that the high school friends I don't have anymore. It's, we just, our lives went in two separate directions. We have different values. We are, we have different things going on in our lives. However, growing up in that religion as being, you know, one of Jehovah's witnesses, there are friends I have who went through the same thing that I went through, mm. uh, leaving the religion, having these same realizations that I'm very close to because we have this common experience of leaving the religion. If it wasn't for that proximity, yeah, like I don't know if I would have had such a strong friendship with them. All
0: him. right, here's a question. Hmm. So you are probably aware of like the ex-Muslim movement. The oh yeah okay yes. You know like somebody takes off their hijab and they renounce their religion and suddenly they're in a, they're an apostate. Yeah. and they're being shunned. Yeah. Do you yeah. see this Hold in on. Mormonism. Is yeah, they, where people lose their lose their communities yeah. because. And I would say that a lot of of left-of-center politics is behaving in the same fashion. The idea is that once you're outside of the bubble and you know that you're being exposed to different information sources, Mm -hmm. people who are convinced that the bubble is life, is goodness, they are very worried that you've gone outside and and had experiences that are causing you to question. Now, Mm -hmm. my question to you would be, how close do you feel, for example, to an ex Scientologist or an ex Muslim or an ex Mormon?
3: Yeah, I. That's a good question. I actually have had very meaningful conversations. We have a friend who's an ex Mormon who would be viewed as an apostate, and her and I share a lot in common. So it's not just with the organization. I was just speaking to the proximity thing that yeah. you that you mentioned. Like what, the friends that I have who left the religion, not maybe the same time I did, but eventually they left. Um, the reason why we are in touch is because we're you know, going through similar things as far as our parents, how they treat us, how other friends we had who were still in the organization, how they treat us. Um, but otherwise, I, if I met him on the street or met him at a party, I don't know if I'd be friends with him if we didn't have that shared. So for the proxim, because we were, you know, shared the same proximity and we shared these very, emotional experiences, um, it has secured some friendships that I have in my life right now.
0: Yeah, I, the one thing I would say to your audience is I I don't share the, <laughs> the feeling that um, just proximity is a problem. I think proximity, particularly when you're going through life experience is, I, I I value a lot of those early relationships who just happen to be like whoever lived next door, whoever
1: I, I carpooled with, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it sounds to me like we're, we're, we are agreeing violently here Good. <laughs> um, be, because I think the point I, I was trying to communicate with respect to proximity is um, the, the most meaningful relationships aren't birthed from pro- proximity alone. Yes. Uh, they, they require something else, whether it's shared values, whether it's an inciting incident, a life-changing incident, something like that. Isabel, I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. Uh, my, one of my favorite lines from from that book is, and, and this is a, really appropriate for the, the time you're going through right now. One of my favorite lines is, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Meaning, obviously, we often try to change someone. Like, I'm going to force you to, you know, your values to align with mine. I'm going to force you to behave like me. You're going to have the same interests.
3: That's why I'm a minimalist. Josh said he wouldn't be friends with me anymore if I didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's worked out really well. And, um, uh, so you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you, meaning you can surra- start surrounding yourself with, with people or, or, or seeking out people who share similar interests or similar values to you, even though they might have radically different beliefs. So, yeah. Sean, if you could reach out to Isabella, send her, uh, if you want the audio book, if you like our podcast, you really like the audio book version of Everything That Remains. It's my favorite thing that we've ever written. Or if you want the book book or the ebook, we're happy to send you those as well. Peter from Florida has a question.
3: Hi, uh this is Peter Atkinson from Ave Maria, Florida. I wondered if
1: you guys saw a correspondence between what Pope Francis has been saying and your philosophy. And what I
3: mean by that is that I know that um, that you each have your different religious views and uh that uh you were a previous seventh day or not, sorry, not seventh day, um Jehovah Witness, and I wondered if you saw what Pope has been saying about a throwaway culture and the need to move away from that to one that actually values human life and human dignity and what you guys are saying and why you think that so many people around the world, especially religious and spiritual leaders uh, are
2: speaking to the same problem that you guys are saying
1: so yes we do have a throwaway culture now uh, I, i'm sure it's i don't know it, it seems like maybe throwaway culture is even the wrong wor- word but like everything has become even more ephemeral especially in the the, the digital age mm. i don't know whether that, not that's a good thing or a bad thing to me the thro- like the literal throwaway culture is, is 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 bad for a lot of reasons uh where we're throwing away um Instead of repairing, replacing, fixing the, the things, um, it's much easier to click one button and have something shipped to you for next to nothing, same day. Um, but yeah, we are in a, a throwaway culture. A, a, we're in a time of ephemerality, but also I like to embrace the, the, the ephemeral. Everything is ephemeral on a long enough timeline. We were talking about this beforehand, Eric. Um, buying a house is we say we buy a house, but do we really own it? Yeah, it's totally fake. (laughs) It's a different form of renting. (laughs) It it is. Um, And you asked asked us if we own this podcast studio, and it's like, well, sort of. Like, we pay rent here every month, and other people can't come in here. Well, it's funny, that old Cat
0: Stevens line, uh, Lord, my body has been a good friend, but I won't need it when I reach the end, right? So the idea is that even your body is like, it's not really yours. It's just yeah. some place where where your soul resides for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you want to say more on that? I was interested where you were going. I'm interested in where you're going. All right. <laughs> um, I think we're in a very different, weird place. I think that you want to, we have a hoard away culture and a throw away culture at the same time. So mm-hmm. we're hoarding things that should be thrown away mm-hmm. or never purchased, um, and that's confusing us because the amount of Stuff that comes into our lives very often isn't determined by us. Like somebody decides to give us a gift. We don't know how to integrate it into our lives. Somebody decides to hand us a piece of paper, which immunizes them from liability, but it's not meant to be read by anyone. And yet there we are holding it. Um, so there's all of that kind of weird dynamic happening. I think that the biggest problem with this is we need an archival, sense in our lives that's a natural part of being human and one of the things i'm very disturbed about is that you have to make the ephemeral archival so if you think about shakespeare Mm -hmm. shakespeare is tied to the language of his day um you know or, or or chaucer you know for example if you go back to the middle english you know one that april with the shorter so to the droght of Marcheth of to the road to which sometimes you have to, to learn okay well Chaucer is just trapped in Middle English he can't get out mm. and we love him for that right because if we know any Middle English it's probably the opening lines of the Canterbury Tales mm. um when Paul Simon is singing the 59th street bridge st- song uh he's saying that he's feeling groovy which is like a weird thing to say if you're in 2019 it's very ironic yeah. Or you know, Jimi Hendrix singing "Foxy," uh-huh. you know, or she's a 20th century fox by the doors. All I don't. I grew up; girls were foxy, but I don't know that they're foxy anymore. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, yeah, not without irony. That's sort of the nature of language, right? Though.
0: So here's my point about about ephemerality. You want an archival version of the ephemera that was your time, so that when people look back on your time, they've got some honest copy of what was peculiar to your time, but built to last, mm. right? Like there is something about the 59th Street Bridge song, which is just classic and clean and simple and beautiful and open-hearted. And we're gonna put up with the word groovy, We're gonna, in fact, we're gonna love the word groovy in the middle of that song, because it's it's so weird, right? It's part of, the t- of a time capsule. It's part of the time capsule. And um, what I think is, is that we don't have the archival stuff that we need right now happening in our lives. The complexity of our time has not been understood by people inside of our time. I think you could argue that there were people in the 60s who were following what was going on in the 60s. I don't have a really good sense that what is happening now, what is tearing our country apart, our families apart, mm-hmm. the entire planet is descending into these protests. Nobody's exactly sure how something in Chile is, is linked to something in the Netherlands. The whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense and nobody's worked it out. And our music is not the music of our time. I'm, I'm convinced of this.
1: Mm. Um, what do you mean? Are, the, you're saying contemporary music is not the music of 2019?
0: Well, that the role, I should be able to see myself dissolving into my phone. Like the smartphone is having a huge impact, much more than the Erie Canal. Mm-hmm. But like, there are a ton of Erie Canal songs, or you know, with, with the car, when the car liberated us, uh, you know, to be independent, you get a ton of car songs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, Jan and Dean type stuff.
1: We're getting some of that now, though. Who yeah. was who, who the gal we we recommended a few weeks ago? Was it Caitlin Tanner? Uh, she has a song called Cynical, and it's yeah. really, it's essentially about these sort of endless scrolling. Uh, Ryan and I will often say, scrolling is the new smoking, yeah. um, and and it's just it's become this habit uh and i think I think some there are some kids now who i say kids you know people under twenty five who are are in music starting to deal with that, but maybe also to to append your point uh, maybe podcasts in many way are the new music well that's that's sort of where I'm at.
0: I believe that when it comes to um this time and trying to do an archive of it, you're gonna have people who are gonna study the podcasts of this period, because that's gotten closer. But mm. I really think that the music needs to condense down. Like, you know, if I think about, um, you know, Country Joe and the Fish, doing uh, Feels Like I'm Fixing to Die Rag, about the Vietnam War. Mm. Um, I haven't really heard super effective songs that took over the country that complained about all the things wrong with the Trump presidency.
3: Mm. Yeah, I mean there are some albums out there I can name, but I understand like n- nothing that has swept the world like those older songs I think swept the world. Yeah. For example, does a better job of narrative
0: storytelling and and kind of yeah, the best of it is archival. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know I I, I asked uh, Sean Lennon, who's a friend of mine, to write a song of now, and he wrote the song called Boomerang Baby with uh, the. Uh, claypool Lennon delirium, with Les Claypool, and it talks about a lot of these issues of ephemera. You know, she's never dated anyone before. A th- thorough search of Google, mm-hmm. the only time she's found in church, she'll be attending her own funeral or something like this. Um, I think it's a, it's a worthy attempt, but I think what we need is we should have the best effing music right now with all the things that are going on, like the music should be as good or better than the 1960s.
1: And I think maybe part of the problem there is the ephemera. No longer do we, Ryan and I, we've been doing this uh, experiment, uh, screenless Saturdays, where you know we don't have a phone on Saturday. There are a few different ways you can do it. But when I first started, we had to go down to Amoeba Music here, and like I bought a CD to play in my car because I didn't have my phone with me. Like The whole intention was lock the phone in the drawer on a Saturday, and then, you know yeah see if you can survive without it for 24 hours it's like the worst episode of 24 <laughs> it's ever good experiment though um <laughs> and 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 what i realized is like there was this process that, that didn't have the same uh, uh, ephemeral feeling the temporary feel, where you went to the cd store the record store you bought the record you, you there was a, a tactile experience and now infinity is in my pocket mm. and 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 uh, I have the paradox of choice in my pocket as well, because there are 50 or hundred or 700 new albums that came out last Friday. And yes, the algorithm might serve a few up to me, but even then, I'm not as invested in it. I can say, yeah, add that to my library, add this one to my library, add that to my library. But how much time am I actually investing in, in listening to this music much less?
0: Well, it depends what's going on in your life. I agree with you about the tactile sensation and the, you know, don't even get me started about Tower Records over on Sunset Boulevard, mm, which right. is where I had my musical education yeah. because the people behind the counter were musicologists and right. and mm. just professors, right? Yeah. Um,
1: that was a community in, in and of itself.
0: Yeah. Well, but these things were conspiracies, man. Like, jazz was a conspiracy. Hmm. When nothing else was going on, jazz was happening. It hmm. was, it was, it was. You know, filled with life, it was brilliant. It was coming out of a place that wasn't supposed to have intellectual brilliance, right? Mm. The idea that all these, you know, black Americans were doing things we couldn't even imagine. Wow. I mean, that was, this is, you know, the sort of the feel of Ginsburg's uh, Howl, you know? You're tapped into something that is beyond. For me, blues, uh, which, you know, I'm a little bit <laughs> downstream from jazz, I can't quite go that hard analytically, I'm just not smart enough. Um, but blues has this much more soulful aspect of it. That was a conspiracy. You know, I remember going to clubs where I did not feel comfortable. I think that whole thing is gone because, you know, it, it was rejected by the black community that had spawned it, embraced by the white community. So I I was in a transitional era where I'd see BB King on, you know, two adjacent nights and one with a black audience and one with a white audience. It mm. wasn't in any way, the same show. Mm. The black audience felt like we are a part. We're doing the show together. We're going to cry out and the interaction. The white audience would clap politely when it was done. Mm. Um, where, where was I going on this whole <laughs>
3: crazy tangent? I got I got deep in my weeds. Well, we're talking about ephemerality, uh, yeah, yeah in, this, okay. in this throwaway culture. Okay,
0: so the question is, what's happening when that song is playing? What is the event that happens? Mm. So I've been talking about this event, which I want to get back into the public consciousness. I'm going to keep doing it about 1981 going to see the Rolling Stones and watching this guy get booed off stage. Um, you know, that opening act, they had George Thurgood and the Jay Giles band. And mm. then this black guy in a trench coat and like lingerie and bikini briefs and a telecaster. And it was, you know, I could keep saying it's the second coming of Jimi Hendrix and you know, 50,000 people just hated this guy mm. and turned out to be Prince. Mm. And wow. and it was two two days in a row that they booed him off stage, I believe. <sighs> and I went to both of these shows and-
1: And then why is it? Is it because- um, it, I, But it was ephemeral, but it was an event. But it was also expectation. The reason he gets booed off stage is it, it, a crowd's expectations.
0: Because they were there to be titillated sexually by Mick Jagger.
2: Mm. right? And they
0: weren't putting it together. That they were already weirdly homoerotically uh, <laughs> open. And suddenly, this yeah. small little black guy yeah. uh, comes in. And I mean, this, I remembered, like, remember this guy because the guitar playing is just to next level. Mm-hmm. And um, that was an event. That was something that happened that wasn't just the performance of a song. And so, what I would say is, is that when something happens, like, I never, um, you know, you know that song? Uh, I can't remember. You Done Done Me. So felt it. So chill. And my heart had melted. Do you know Jason? I forget. Jason Mraz. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah, wait. No yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that song was playing when I was ice skating with my daughter. And I may not know all the lyrics, I never purchased the song. But I will never forget that that song exists because Uh, of what was happening mm. that attached to that song.
1: In a way, that was a sort of archiving of your experience. That's exactly right. And Mm. it's
0: some of the stuff that, you know, I always, when I I meet people who are really interested in the music of earlier times, don't make this mistake that you're going to shun the music of your era. Whatever the music of your era is, attach to that because you're going to want to have a timestamp about what was happening in the world.
1: Yeah, mm. there's something magical about all of the music that came out between '96 and '98 for me, because that was oh, yeah. a a period of time where, where you know I was post-pubescent but still a teenager, and like everything was sort of the world was a, a new place, and that music I still listen to it now. It archived a period of my life, and now if one of those albums were to come out today, I'd probably listen to it like. Now, this seems weird and out of date, but for that moment, it created that that time capsule. And in a way, the this archival sense, uh, the sense of uh, well, you, you mentioned hoarding and yeah. and also what I would call Spartanism, which bo- by the way, both of those are are forms of obsessive compulsive disorder, right? So Spartanism is like, I can't stop letting go of stuff. Hoarding is I I can't let go of anything. And I think the archive, and this is probably where we agree here, on the archival side of things, when done well, that actually allows us to let go and move forward. Well, they choose the things that really matter from your time. Right. And that's, that is that is what's different, because now it's everything is archived, and if everything is archived, you're not archiving anything. Well, what I do, what I've started to do, I'm not
0: very successful at being a minimalist, but... What I, what I have been experimenting with is taking photos of things and then throwing the thing away because mm-hmm. what I really needed the object for mm-hmm. was to be able to recreate the memory, like, Trigger. oh, I forgot about that, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just like,
1: don't throw away the card catalog of your own mind. Yeah. Right. When, when my mom died, uh, this that's what started our whole sort of minimalism journey. I had to deal with her stuff. And one of the ways I let go of it, I, I realized like, oh, she was holding on all these things because all the memories are in the things. But then, wait a minute! Like she hadn't been using some of these things for decades. There were things in boxes that were taped up, and I realized she was trying to hold on to memories. But the memories aren't in the things; the memories are inside us. But if we take photos of the things, we still have the triggers for those the triggers memories. Sometimes it's not quite as powerful and as potent, so you have
0: to make some kind of a decision. But I think that none of us are figuring out how to lead these really novel-worthy lives very well at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. there's something about, even if you don't have a smartphone, everyone around you is influenced by the smartphone. It's micro-chunking our attention. The number of people I know confess to me, I can't read a book any longer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I make the joke, I'm still able to get through even the longest of
3: tweets. But it's, not far off. It's, like hard, it's hard for me to watch a movie without thinking about, oh, I'm going to check my phone. It just impulsively. I mean, yeah. yeah and
0: yet um, really long form television has been the come out of nowhere success story.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. The Chernobyls and, and yeah.
0: th- those types of shows. You know, just give me season after season of super complicated plot lines. Right. And that, that forms community because... Strangely, everybody's engrossed in the same thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what it's like not to have been part of the Game of Thrones universe and just watch conversation after conversation descend into this. You actually,
1: you were excluded because I I haven't watched Game of Thrones either, Ryan Ryan has, and so I do feel excluded from that, but I I also, uh, it warms my heart a little bit to see that there is a, a sort of loosely knit community around something like that, and it becomes an event. In a way that, um, yeah, well, it's it's gathering around a, a shared commonality.
0: Well, it's not just that;
1: it's the it's, it's it builds a
0: mimetic complex. So, for example, everyone who went through Seinfeld together now uses particular episodes and concepts that came out of that show. Mm-hmm. And really crazy thing is is that we Jews went from doing our stuff in the synagogue to. Saying, well, at least let's take all of this learning and put it into canned humor, so jokes that have a Talmudic punchline, mm. mm-hmm. and then we stopped telling canned jokes because, like, only only dads do that, right? <laughs> well, the weird thing is how much wisdom got lost because that the joke was the vehicle, right? And, and the wisdom was was the payload, yeah, right? Because yeah. a lot of those jokes were deeply meaningful. My family just traded the punchlines of jokes we didn't tell the jokes we told the punchlines
1: because you already knew it
0: everyone knew the joke nobody wanted to hear it again
1: and outsiders didn't know it in a way right they wouldn't understand if you're just telling the punchline well that was my father's job he would tell the joke (laughs) okay he would explain it to others right well peter i'm going to send you a copy of our book minimalism live a meaningful life We, we talk about the five sort of foundational values that ryan and i often talk about and and you you were talking about the the ephemera and uh, us throwing away things and uh, Ryan and I basically identified you know, what was important to us and some of those things were actually things but minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things so we can make room for life's most important things which are, are rarely. Things they're they're rarely the physical things. So you're, you're you're aware of the irony here. Yeah. <laughs> Everything we do is steeped in irony. Okay. Well, the added idea the that minimum. somebody's going to
0: talk about throwaway culture uh, and too many objects, and you're going to send them an object is, is, is <laughs> well, pretty awesome.
1: If you want the ebook, which yeah. we we, or the we strongly recommend, yeah, or the <laughs> you can always delete it later. All right. Before we get into our added value segment and our listener tips today, it looks like we got a bunch more to talk about, including some surprise questions. We know how to declutter our houses, but how do we declutter our desires? How do you differentiate what you truly believe from what you were taught to believe? How can you believe in something like religion, even if you have doubts? How can I stop judging other people for their religious beliefs that I find to be silly? And does a universal morality exist? Plus, we're also going to talk to Eric Weinstein about truth. And are there some truths that we need to suppress? If so, why? We're gonna talk about parenting our parents. You know, you've heard the saying, when the student becomes the teacher, well, sometimes the kid becomes the parent. We're gonna talk to Eric about what he calls structural nonsense. Uh, We're going to talk about The Portal, his podcast, but also what does that mean when we talk about The Portal, when we're entering new portals. We're going to talk about comedy and how it illuminates some of the life's most profound truths. We're going to talk about Eric's risk advertising model, which is a different way to think about advertising that might actually align with minimalism. And we're going to talk about so much more with Eric Weinstein. If you want to hear all that, listen to this week's Maximal episode available exclusively on Patreon. That's right, you're currently listening to our weekly minimal episode but each week ryan and i and our guests record an entirely different much longer maximal episode and we'll probably go for almost a, two hours on this one here uh where we we do it on our private podcast. It's called the Minimalist Private Podcast, and that gives us the space to talk about the things we don't usually discuss in public. It's, a, it's more of a private format. Plus, Patreon is the best way for us to fund this podcast and keep it 100% advertisement-free. When you subscribe to the Minimalist Private Podcast on Patreon, you'll also receive a personal link so that our maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. You can find all the details and all the good stuff, including additional private podcast episode every week over at theminimalists.com slash support. I know it's just a couple dollars, but that goes a long way for us. By the way, we are capping our Patreon audience at 6,000 patrons. So you can get in now while there's still time. And here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners.
2: Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Claudia in Santa Barbara. I have a tip that I thought of when Josh was talking about his mostly empty filing cabinet because I remember my mostly empty filing cabinet. I realize that this tip might be a little regional and not be as convenient or available to everyone, but many banks offer a low-cost or even free safe deposit box for their customers. I keep all of our important papers and things like birth certificates, wills, passports, and Social Security cards in the safe deposit box at a bank less than a mile away from our home. I replaced my mostly empty filing cabinet with a small clear accordion file that holds copies, not originals, of what is in the safe deposit box along with one of the keys to the box taped inside. Those hard copies are mostly for someone else who might need to know where the originals are, but another set of copies is saved digitally on my computer. Another tip is that at that same bank, they will take bags of paper to shred, so when I have more than a couple of sheets, I just take them in and ask them to shred them for me. Hi, this is Amanda from Bloomington, Indiana, uh, and I have a small tip for uh, Maya from the episode 202, Buy Once. Uh, I purchased food for two people now since I live with my fiance, so I started to notice I was spending more in my budget. Uh, the way I've found to keep the overall cost down is to plan out your dinners and meals for the week, not necessarily meal prepping ahead of time, but just planning out what you want to make every night. This helped me get in and out of the store while avoiding picking up extra unnecessary snack items. And having a menu helped encourage me to cook at home. It also got me more excited about the actual act of cooking. So I started looking forward to cooking at home instead of coming home and dreading it and then end up buying something out to eat.
1: All right, y'all. Thanks again to Eric Weinstein for joining us today. Please check out his podcast It is called The Portal. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We'll also put a link to his Twitter handle, Eric R. Weinstein, and follow him on Instagram as well. We'll be linking to him from our own Instagram account. And real quick for right here, right now, here's something that's going on in the life of The Minimalists. If you head on over to theminimalists.com, we have a new page. It's called our resources page. You can click the resources at the top there. And over there, you'll find a bunch of free resources that we want to help you declutter your life, simplify your life, make your life more intentional. We have a 30 day minimalism game calendar. We have a bunch of different wallpapers, including our new uh, our new wallpaper. Scrolling is the new smoking. Dave did such a great job with that. We've got our love people use things wallpaper, our minimalist wallpaper, and our five questions to ask before buying wallpaper, several other wallpapers over there as well. We also have a free ebook, uh, 11 writing tips for you that you can download for free and a longer ebook called The Minimalist Rulebook, 16 Rules for Living with Less. We have a values worksheet that's gonna help you identify your values and much, much more of less over at theminimalists.com. Just click on the resources page there at the top. If you have a question, comment, or a minimalism tip for our podcast, leave us a voicemail 406-219-7839 or send a, po- uh, a memo, voice memo to podcast at minimalists.com. you can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists if you want our show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com you'll also receive our simple Sunday emails and for our added value this week let's listen to our friend Kenyon City he has a new single out called OK and it is a beautiful song it reminds you that everything is going to be okay. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. I used to
2: think
0: I would die here alone and I was fine Leaving nothing much behind A few guitars, a couple lines heart, white lines, a white light open my eyes
3: When you float through the door, I couldn't close many anymore Hey, I'm not okay, but I'm better than I was Say,
0: it's been some day, laying out you in the sun